Stay tuned for The Turning Point with Mike Fader. This is Mike Fader on The Turning Point. Uh, first, we can't call it a live show because this show is recorded, recorded on Monday mornings, and people who listen to it uh, on streaming hear it uh, later in the day at um, 4 p.m. on Mondays. Podcasts, obviously, you're listening later on. Um, but this is the first um, new show in a couple of weeks. I assume, is that true, Mr. Engineer, that uh, we've... Uh, played rebroadcasts? I, I guess it is, right? I mean, I yeah, right, we played rebroadcasts. And I tried to choose shows that I thought were uh, interesting, uh, generally, or, you know, universal, the most I could. So I hope that, uh, that those of you who listened enjoyed them, if you did listen. 
uh, also before I start talking today, which I may not even do. Is it possible? There's no FCC. FCC doesn't control this kind of radio station, right? This, <laughs> I wonder, have, have we ever had a library hour, like an hour of silence, uh, contemplation, meditation? There probably are shows. Uh, no, not an hour. There probably are shows on this um, channel. I know there were shows on BAI when I was there where sometimes uh, people who were um, doing certain kinds of shows, sort of new agey shows, would have uh, periods of minutes where there would be silence. And to tell you the truth, in the great rush and flush of, uh, to use a certain word, of uh, modern noisy, you know, life, it was interesting, perverse, and it was interesting sometimes to hear silence on the radio like that. There was a certain, there was a certain peacefulness to it, but uh, I guess you can't go on and do that. I mean, what's the point of doing a radio show if you don't talk, right? Or if you don't play music or you don't do something? That's what the radio is all about. We're broadcasting to you. So before I start uh, talking today and trying to make some sense and failing as usual, um, I wanted to thank absolutely everybody. Sound like Donald Trump now? <laughs> this is, it was huge. I got a huge response, thanks to everybody who responded to my thinking out loud, which is still going on in a way uh, about whether I uh, have had enough radio, whether I need to be on the radio anymore, whether you need to hear me on the radio anymore. And I got a lot of positive response and a lot of supporting, supportive response. I didn't really get any negative or uh, petty or carping kind of a response. Uh, so I wanted to thank you all for considering what I had um, what I had put out there. Uh, if I didn't respond to you, I responded to most people, but I didn't respond to everybody. Maybe 75% of the people who wrote in I responded to. I didn't respond to everybody. So if you didn't hear back from me, you can be assured anyhow that I read every one of the emails uh, and I read everything that you might have written to me about uh, my radio career or whether or not you listen or whether you want certain kinds of shows. I think most people were interested more in um, in, um, <clears throat> in in me talking, not in interviews, not in interview shows. So um, uh, that's something. It's something what I used to do on BAI. I didn't do that many interview shows, and people were used to that. Uh, so what is there to say about, uh, about what's happening lately? Well, <clears throat> first of all, where was I? You, you're all desperately interested in where I was. I think I mentioned that I might have mentioned that I was going to Maine. I don't know. Did I mention that? Just let me adjust these headphones. are a little touchy. Um, I went to Maine for a couple of weeks. The first week I wasn't here, I was here in the city, but it was July 4th, so the station was closed. Um, and um, for two Mondays after that, I was in, up in Maine on a vacation. Well, the best um, imitation of a vacation that I could possibly uh, manage to conjure up. <laughs> I mean, people usually take vacations when uh, they need to vacate, uh, when they need to recreate recreation, right? Recreation. People usually take vacations from work. But since I don't work anymore, uh, per force, uh, for physical uh, reasons and maybe a couple of mental reasons, since I don't work anymore, 
a vacation had other meanings for me. I think the main thing was a vacation from, um, they have TVs up there. They have uh, texting. They have uh, TVs. They have uh, radio stations. Uh, they have uh, news. So I knew what was going on in the world, whether I wanted to or not. We stayed for a couple of days, my wife and I, stayed for a couple of days in um, in a hotel. And, you know, it's too expensive on our budget. That's the last time that get, that, that happens. And then we stayed for the rest of the um, vacation uh, in a house that her family has owned for, I don't know, seven decades, something like that. She's been going up there since she was a kid. And uh, so it's been, I don't know, 60, 70 years they own this house. Her grandparents owned it, then her parents owned it, and her mother still owns it. It's a house up in Maine. It's an old uh, house. It was built probably in the 1800s sometimes. And it's been, since it started to fall apart over and over again over the years, it's been replaced. So a lot of it is new-ish, portions of it, the roof, you know, the sides, <laughs> part of the floors. It's been, uh, it's been, you know, rebuilt many times. Like anybody old or anything old or in person, a lot of it is uh, rebuilt. A lot of it has been, um, you know, a lot of it is sagging and cracked and uh, decayed and it has to be replaced. So it has been patchworked over the years. It's a beautiful, uh, not the house itself isn't so beautiful, but the house is a, a rickety old house, but it has a lot of life that has been lived in it to put it mildly. And it has um, kind of a peaceful feeling to it. In fact, uh, it's situated in a very small town. I mean, this town is so small. Ladies and gentlemen, this town is so small. Yeah, this town is small. It's got a post office and a general store and a church. That's it. Post office, general store, church. Norman Rockwell, America. And... um, that's about it. And the, the general store has two, no, they have one uh, gasoline pump in front of the store. At the general store, you can get, uh, you know, a few things that you need, Wonder Bread, um, no gluten-free stuff, Wonder Bread, you can get, uh, no, you can get bread, you get, you know, whatever, juice, Snapple, <clears throat> and you can buy the newspapers, and there are several newspapers. So if you wanted to, at the hotel, you get uh, USA Today. USA Today is this, uh, I guess, is USA Today, I guess it's a kind of um, conservative um, American general sort of reporting on what's going on in the world, uh, domestic and foreign. Um, so it's conservative. When I, there one, uh, one time I picked up a copy of it. Usually I don't pay attention to it. But, and also I'm trying to avoid the news. One reason I go on vacation is to avoid knowing as I do most days, these, uh, most times these days, I try to avoid knowing what's going on in the world. Uh, because every time I pick up the newspaper, and I know that you're having a similar experience, every time you pick up a newspaper or you tune into whatever cable news that you get or you have something on your, you know, on your smartphone, which is so smart soon it's going to be taken over your brain, but that's another whole show. Uh, <clears throat> you tune in and you get the news and it's... Um, Horrible. <laughs> the news is horrible. It's frightening. It's violent. It's full of hypocrisy, 
hacking, uh, near war-like movements by nations, um, revolutions, violence, corruption beyond computation. CBC, corruption beyond computation. Uh, do I sound like Donald Trump? Well, he's right about that. Uh, I don't always write about that America is uh, so lawless that only he can save it. Uh, the convention, uh, you know, I watched a couple of, uh, I was up there for two nights, uh, for the first two nights of the convention, and I watched um, I watched all the people come on, you know, the tired old country and western singers, the tired old celebrities, the tired new celebrities, and various, um, you know, right-wing nuts and uh, crazy lunatic preachers. God, those guys are scary. <laughs> and a couple of black preachers on. And they are screaming from, like, you know, you know, like on a, on a um, when you watch uh, racing cars, and I never watch racing cars because it's boring and stupid to me and self-destructive to watch people drive 180 miles an hour or if they're doing it. And uh, I think one of the... My feeling about this, although I've never really watched an entire race, I've only watched little clips or portions of it or parts that are in commercials, uh, I think one of, the, one of the great allures of racing cars has to be, uh, of watching racing cars and watching, what is it called, NASCAR? I don't know what that stands for. Of what, one of the lures of watching uh, racing cars is, are they going to crash? Are they going to smash into each other? Is somebody going to climb out of the car? It's an um, absolutely morbid fascination. It's a morbid fascination. I don't know what you could compare it to, but it's not like uh, like in other sports, sometimes people watch hockey because uh, you know there's going to be a fight and they get a vicarious thrill out of the fight. Some people like actually watch the fights, right? Because I like to see people pound the crap out of each other. You know, whatever other reasons there are for watching the noble sport of boxing. You know, uh, one reason is um, because of the existence of an unconscious and psychology and because of human nature, is I think people watch it. Do you, did you expect to have any kind of linear sense? If I'm going to talk, <laughs> I guess I'm just going to talk. So, you know, I think people watch boxing because uh, one reason is because they want to see people pound the living shit out of each other and they want to uh, see who's tougher. And I think there's an identification that goes on. I mean, you pick... Uh, you want to see, yeah, there's a competition. The sporting part is there's a competition. If two people are relatively evenly matched in a boxing ring, uh, it's not a ring, is it? It's a, squ it's a square. What's the word for it? It's a boxing ring. 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 But it's not really a ring, right? A ring is uh, round. Yeah, I know. I know. But it's, I'm trying to figure it out. I, I don't know. Uh, they can't. It's a, it's a, well, it's a boxing ring, so who cares what the origin is? It's a boxing ring. So in the ring, you know, I think this is a thing called Ring Magazine, right? That's the boxing magazine, Ring Magazine. And um, so there they are in the ring, which is actually square, and um, pounding and pounding. And if they're evenly matched, it can be exciting to watch, to see who's going to prevail, who's better, who's... And then there's people who refer to it as a, the science of boxing. <clears throat> I guess so. Every sport has its... Um, has its angles and its uh, figurings and its scientific uh, uh, arrangements. And uh, the more you know about it, then the more you see of it. But basically, one reason why people watch boxing and one reason why people watch football sometimes, um, not baseball, though. It's interesting. Now, it's, it's the midst of baseball season. 
And baseball is different, I think, from, I don't know about basketball these days. I have not watched basketball in 20, 30 years. When, when, when did my father die? When I was about 30 years old, my father died, and he was a big Knicks fan. So I watched, base, I watched basketball all the time when he was around. Sometimes we went to the games. That's 40 years ago. So I haven't really paid attention to basketball. I did watch some games <clears throat> in, uh, off and on over the years, in the last several years. And what I saw was more like I saw more football. <laughs> and as, much as, bas- as much as basketball uh, remained and maybe even got better, some of the shooting got better, and obviously the dunking is everything now. I mean, can you imagine I lived uh, back in a time when almost nobody could do that? There was one guy, Julius Irving. Did he invent that? I don't know. There was one guy, uh, and maybe sometimes Wilt Chamberlain or, uh, you know, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. They were so tall. And Irving, Julius Irving, though, was the guy. He wasn't uh, seven feet tall like uh, Wilt Chamberlain or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. But he, I don't know what it was, six, seven, six, eight, or something like that. He was a forward. And... He was a guy who used to jump about 20 feet, you know, I don't know, 15 feet away from the basket and seemed to fly through the air, actually, um, as, if, uh, as if he was literally flying and like he would never come down. And he would sort of drop the ball in. He didn't, you know, it wasn't that overhand uh, jumping uh, where you just, you know, dunk it right in. He would just sort of drop it in, uh, you know, like you were serving tea to somebody. He would serve the basketball into the, into the net. But, uh, yeah, uh, this dunking is, uh, is new since I stopped watching um, basketball all those, all those years, decades ago. And the few times I did tune in, I saw a much rougher game. Uh, it was rough in those days. You know, people bang into each other. Noses were broken, you know, people. And, of course, you fall to the hardwood floor. Those are big guys. Long way to fall. Bigger they are, the harder they fall. And uh, you're falling. You're falling on a ring, which is padded, a boxing ring, or grass, like in baseball, or in um, whether it's artificial or not, like in baseball or football. You're falling uh, on um, on a hardwood floor. So, uh, but basketball is much rougher now, and it seems to have a little less finesse, or maybe a lot less finesse than it did when I was watching it. So I'm not so interested in anymore, and football, but. But basketball may have joined the ranks of boxing and um, obviously this uh, ultimate fighting crap. What's it called? UFC? Is it that ultimate fighting crap? Or is that ultimate fighting championship? I don't know. But this ultimate fighting stuff is uh, pure uh, violence for its own sake. Sport, forget about it. (laughs) So uh, it all approaches, it's all on a continuum to watching a gladiatorial uh, bout in ancient Rome. I mean, you want to see, essentially, people get their arms cut off, their legs cut off, their eyes poked out by a sword or a trident, and ultimately you want to see or have even some control if you put your thumb down, right, or thumb up, whether somebody lives or dies. You're watching people, you know, you put lions in with Christians. How far are we away from that? How far are we away from that? I mean, the more violent this stuff gets... And the more somebody doesn't walk away from it, concussions, you know, injuries, um, broken jaws, uh, God knows what, eyes put out. This is just a warm-up. Obviously, we're headed straight towards gladiatorial events. And um, 
watch the Republican convention, you you see some of the atmosphere of a gladiatorial convention, uh, of a gladiatorial event, with uh, Caesar right up there making his one-and-a-half-hour occasionally boring and occasionally frightening speech. Very much like, of course, um, Hitler on one of his insane rants. And I think you all noticed that. we get back to that in a little while. So I'm at this house. We're at this country house. We shouldn't have stayed in a hotel anyhow, uh, probably because it was too expensive. But we just wanted to stay in a place where there was no cooking, there was no washing dishes, there was just <clears throat> relaxing. There was no making the beds unless we felt like making them, right? That kind of thing. So we did that for a couple of nights. And then off to this other house, um, which has its problems. It's, it's old, it's damp, you know, but it's peaceful. And the house itself in this little peaceful town is surrounded by fields, beautiful meadows, fields, um, and um, woods from which you hear either the sound of the wind uh, moving the tall grass back and forth or leaves in the trees, or you hear the sounds of birds. Uh, Occasionally, you know, a neighbor's dog will bark a couple of times, and you hear various different kinds of bird sounds, which are absolutely beautiful that you don't hear in the city. What you don't really hear is um, the sound of screaming and yelling and homeless lunatics. You don't hear the sound of um, buses and cars and trucks and horns beeping. Uh, It's a sensory experience. And so the house is on uh, on some land about, uh, I don't know, is it about two acres of land? Maybe it's more. I can't judge how much that is. Maybe two or three acres of land. And it's um, uh, a lawn which goes all the way down to a field which has not been uh, cut down, uh, basically an overgrown lawn uh, with flower, wildflowers everywhere, beautiful wildflowers. And right, uh, it's right on a bay. It's on a small little uh, bay, which leads out to a larger bay, which leads out to the ocean. And you can see islands in the distance. Sunsets are beautiful. There's sky everywhere. I was sitting on the porch. It's a screened-in porch because uh, mosquitoes are a menace up there, especially at night. Wasps, mosquitoes. I mean, you're out right smack in the middle of a field in the country, right? <clears throat> so I'm sitting on the porch, and... Frequently, you sit on the porch, and what you see is ospreys, you know, a form of eagle that uh, catch fish, swooping, you know, just swirling around in the sky and then swooping down in the bay and coming up with a fish in its claws. This is not on um, National Geographic Channel. This was happening. (laughs) And it's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And the tide, you know, goes in for hours, and then it comes out for hours, and um, there are sailboats out there, and it's quiet, and sometimes you hear the noise, you know how the noise travels over water, you hear the noise of of people getting their sailboats ready, uh, occasionally you hear a couple of motors, um, you do hear, the, the, actually the house is just uh, a few feet off a road, and it's just about the only road that goes to the other part of this um, 
of this, uh, you know, this projection of land which comes out. You know, uh, there's the coast of Maine is um, has all these uh, small or sometimes large projections of land which go out into bays and sometimes out into the ocean, and then islands off the edge, um, as if it was all broken up at one time. Uh, and you know, there's there's one road where this house is that goes. Uh, all the way to the tip of where this projection uh, of land is. And you will hear sometimes cars or trucks swishing past, but you get used to it after a while, and it's not that many. What you get is green, what you get is peace and quiet. You don't see lunatics, you don't see homeless people, you don't see loud, tremendously fat, crazy, rude, aggressive uh, nutballs or just regular citizens, you know, people people screaming at their kids. Maybe it's a cultural thing. It's not like there isn't poverty up in Maine. There is poverty up in Maine. There's no homelessness that I can see. But there's poverty up there. And there's um, uh, mental illness. There are mental clinics, you know. <laughs> you just don't see it in your face every second. And what you don't see is... Uh, and so you don't see it's all a sensory experience you don't see you don't hear you don't smell you don't taste grit you don't smell exhaust fumes it's such a wonderful break and actually my wife and I were talking about could we move up to a place like this you know I've lived my entire life in this city she grew up in Connecticut in a place which was sort of um, a small town but a kind of a uh, sort of a hip town, place in Connecticut about an hour away from the city where a lot of people who worked in the city took the uh, the Metro North train up to Connecticut to this uh, town, which is fairly well known, uh, where a lot of people, uh, it was upper middle class or upper class, and she grew up in this place. And uh, But still, you know, you were, there were streams, uh, you're right on the ocean, there were tidal streams, and then there was a stream right behind her house. Uh, you walk about three or four blocks and there's this beautiful stream and all this wildlife you know beautiful like fish and stream you could see fish you know swirling around underneath some clear spot of the water there were herons and up in Maine you know all kinds of different birds um, and uh, occasionally you would see uh, wildlife that you would never see down here and I don't mean wildlife human form <laughs> other wildlife to sit on this porch in short and hear almost nothing except the wind in passing through the leaves and the trees and maybe, uh, you know, making a whispering sound uh, when, when, when it picked up off the ocean or down from the mountains because you can see mountains in the distance too if you look the other way. Um, you hear that sound of the, of the grass, you know, moving back and forth and the sound of the, the wind and the leaves. And you watch uh, sailboats being rigged or sailing in and out of this bay. And you look around and where almost everywhere you look, you see green, beautiful green, green leaves, you know, uh, green leaves everywhere, evergreens, uh, all kinds of other trees and wildflowers in other places. And... Um, all around this house, there were wildflowers. There were day lilies, all just a huge patch of beautiful sort of orangey day lilies right next to the house. And then this field had uh, blue, uh, green, yellow, red flowers 
took a lot of pictures, and there was a lot of old trees. There was uh, wild apple trees and gnarled trees that had been there for God knows how long, 100 years, 200 years. And right down the road from this house is an old cemetery. You know how these towns, upstate New York or any place that you go to a, to a place in the northeast, have these very old, I suppose down south too, these very old cemeteries um, where uh, the gravestones sometimes are worn down or uh, you know eroded to the point where you can hardly read them. But some of them, this is a place where people went out to sea and there were whaling ships that left um, you know, some of the people here were captains, you know, back in the 19th century, were captains of whaling ships who served on whaling ships. And so there are, there are some um, tombstones that, um, that say, you know, Captain, you know, Tobias uh, Smith. Uh, this is a waspy place. <laughs> Maine, Maine is a waspy place. You, there's, there's nary a Jew. There's a couple up there, but you don't see too many of them. Uh, that was when we were weighing the pros and cons. My wife, who is um, a wasp, <laughs> it's kind of a silly word, right? Uh, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant who was brought up that way. Um, she enjoys the city. She enjoys the diversity of New York City. I suppose I do too, but I wouldn't know. It's like, can a fish uh, describe the ocean? No, not really. Fish is in the ocean. I have spent my entire life in New York City, part of the discussion of whether or not we could move up there. And there's a strong discussion this time. I've been going up to this place uh, for to go to, this, to stay at this country house with my wife's parents and then my wife's mother. And now she's, in, um, she's gotten old and has some ailments. So she's in an assisted living community now, um, which is a whole other story I can tell you about. We went and visited her. So this trip wasn't just a vacation. It was kind of a, an, a mission of uh, aiding somebody uh, to get over or to, to adjust, to get over some physical ailments and to adjust to a new environment. So that was part of the mission of, the, of this uh, trip. And, um, and part of what we were talking about is whether we could uh, – and we listed we – we actually wrote out a whole list of pros and cons, and it's very complicated, some of it too personal – <clears throat> sorry, to talk about on the air. But uh, one thing was I was wondering out loud, could I live in a place uh, where there were hardly any Jews at all? Because uh, it's not like I'm not religious. I don't go to synagogue, although sometimes we regret it because I miss the community and the tribal gathering of it, not the idea of God. Uh, you know, if there was a God, yeah, et cetera, you can fill in the blank. <laughs> Sometimes I pray, but who I'm praying to or what I'm praying to, I don't know. Uh, I really don't know. But I am not a religious person. I cannot be described as a religious person. Certainly not observant, that's for sure. And I've never really gone to a to a synagogue on any kind of regular basis. I went one or t- once or twice when I thought I could be saved by it, when I was at my rope's end or my wit's end, uh, which happens to me frequently and is you know not something that ever goes away. So at one time, I was always, I've always been looking for something to save me. God forbid I should look to myself. <laughs> oh, man. So one time, I, it was uh, the rabbi trip. I went to a couple of them. Uh, the people who will welcome you are not conservative or reformed Jews. You can go look up. If you don't know what that means, you can go look it up online. Conservative, reform, and orthodox Jews, three kinds of Jews. Um, the people who welcome you are this sort of semi-missionary um, 
Jews who are the Orthodox Jews, particularly the Hasids. There is one group of Hasidic Jews, uh, the Lubavitchers. <coughs> Sorry, I've got uh, my worst than my usual sore throat. The Lubavitchers will welcome you back to the tribe. They will, if you, if you present yourself um, at a Lubavitcher synagogue, uh, and they can see that you're uh, part of the tribe in general. Your DNA is tribal. They will uh, try to get you back in the fold, uh, especially if you're a male. And I can't guarantee that that's the whole thing. I mean, they don't. Women who wander away from the tribe, or women who weren't part of the uh, the hardcore part of the tribe in the first place, probably don't get, I'm only guessing now, probably don't get, and my friend Stephen can correct me, he knows better than I do, because he's much more involved in um, in, uh, in being observant and uh, knows more about uh, the Hasids than I do. Uh, I think they probably would welcome a male Jew uh, more joyously and more um, passionately than they would welcome a female Jew. They would have questions about what a female Jew is doing wandering into the synagogue. Where's her male protection? Where is her, where is her husband? But they don't ask you if you walk in. And a couple of times I did, and they will op- open their arms to you, and they will assign somebody. And um, it's a father and son deal. It's a father and son deal. Anyhow, um, would I live, could I live in a place uh, my entire life since the day, not the day I was born, I was born near Philadelphia, but then when I was two years old, I came to New York City. You didn't know that? I knew that. Why didn't you know that? So, um, so I come here. Uh, by the way, you're listening to The Turning Point with, uh, I guess you're not, uh, people don't tune across the dial, do they? How does that work? You, can, you don't, yeah, it's not like regular radio where you would hear me by accident. You would tune into PRN and you would know what you were listening to. So I don't have to ID myself. I could ID the station. I should do that. This is PRN.FM. P-R-A, PRN.FM, Progressive Radio Network. And uh, we have all kinds of interesting shows on here. You should check out our, uh, go to the menu part and check out the shows that are, um, that are on the station. Um, so, okay, station ID. But you don't need to identify yourself because people already know if they're listening to you. You know who I am. And you know who you are. And you know who you are as well as I know who I am, which is not a whole lot generally. So, um, yeah, we're up in this place and it's beautiful. We talked about, could I live, I've lived my entire life in New York City, my entire conscious life in New York City. Uh, Brooklyn for a tiny little bit when I was a toddler and then Queens and then Brooklyn, and now Manhattan, God help me. A place I detest more than any other place I could possibly imagine. I think, (laughs) I think, I have never lived anywhere else, so I don't really know, but I sure do hate Manhattan. And I know, I know, then move. Well, that's what we're talking about now. My wife and I are talking about, but, uh, you know, we couldn't afford to move since we don't have that much money. We couldn't afford to move uh, to any place in New York City, probably not. But we could afford to move up to uh, this large town in Maine, which is near uh, her uh, mother's uh, summer house there. Um, and it's much, much cheaper to live up there. <clears throat> it's clean up there. It's quiet up there. But it's also very cold up there. 
these discussions about whether or not to move to a beautiful place like this, and it is so beautiful when you sit there and you see the trees and the flowers, and off in one direction there are mountains, and off in another direction there are fields and great uh, mowed lawns, and not too many people and not too many houses. And uh, then if you look straight forward from the screen porch, you see ospreys in the air, and you see sailboats, and you see this beautiful little bay, and you watch... You sit and you just you reduce your your uh, your tempo. You know the tide will come in for several hours. The tide will go out for several hours, and you reduce your tempo. Probably you reduce your sense of um, your blood pressure. Probably goes down if you're in a place like this. But you know this is a vacation. This is not reality. We weren't going. My you know my wife has a nine to five. She didn't have to get up early and go to work like like she did this morning for the first time in a couple of weeks, which was really kind of devastating for the both of us because we spent so much time together and got you know so used to each other's company and taking it easy and not having any kind of uh, dictated you know bookended schedule. So you know so we went up there and um, and we had this conversation. But could I live in a place? where there were almost no Jews. Uh, you know, I have some friends who are Jewish. I have friends who are not Jewish. Uh, I walk the streets of New York, and I live in a place where, where there is such diversity. Um, it's just astounding. I mean, probably more than almost any other neighborhood. I live up near Columbia University, and there are Korean. You can hear different languages on the street. There are Koreans. There are uh, Dominicans. There are Chinese everywhere. Uh, so many of the students and um, instructors and even professors at uh, Columbia University, uh, where there are tens of thousands of people, are um, are Chinese from China, uh, and some of them go back, and some of them don't go back. But you hear Chinese on the street, and you see Chinese people, and you hear people speaking French, and you hear people speaking Arabic, and you hear people speaking this, that, the other. Um, it's an extraordinary place. And there are a lot of Jews up there, and like every other place I ever lived in my life, in Brooklyn and a couple of different places. And uh, certainly out in Queens, where I grew up, was uh, about half a Jewish neighborhood. So I don't know what it would be like. I mean, I'm up there, and I'm seeing people and listening to people and just sort of by osmosis taking in the um, the crowds. No, the crowds. There are no crowds up there. <laughs> taking in the people on the sidewalk when I'm walking down the main street of this beautiful little town. Um, uh, I'm not really, you know, there, there are precious few Jews. We stop in a diner or a restaurant. Uh, maybe I'm it for uh, most of the time I'm up there and most of the places I go. Could I live in a place like that? I don't know. I really don't know. And maybe we'll find out. Maybe we'll find out. It would be tough, but it's cheaper up there. It's a lot cheaper. The, you, it's about half the rent, and you get even more for that, you know, larger, cleaner space, not, not old buildings that are breaking all the time. Um, and, uh, but food and, you know, electricity and heat, just almost just as expensive up there as it down here. It's the rent that's about half as much, and mortgages are much cheaper too. <clears throat> I think I'll have some water. You don't mind, do you? Okay. I take it you don't mind. Just having some water, no problem. Um, 
So there I am up in there. You know, what was happening in the world? Oh, people are blowing each other up. People are murdering people in... um, at dances, at funerals, at weddings. People are blowing people up in every part of the world. In this country, there seems to be an increase in either lone wolf or um, Muslim radical-inspired insanity and violence. Uh, And and every country in the world, in Germany, stabbings, shootings, in Nice, trucks running over, a truck running over people, killing 84 people, and probably other people will die, and injuring uh, dozens and dozens of other people. In Afghanistan, in, uh, in, in Kabul the other day, a huge explosion, and uh, other cities in the Middle East. It just never stops, and it seems to be getting, it is getting worse and worse and worse, and there's no reason to think that it won't get even more awful than it is now. And it's inevitable. It's going to happen more in this country. It's going to happen more in this country. So what we have is um, a choice of two people uh, coming up. We have the the Democratic Convention is starting tonight, starting on a note of uh, utter corruption, as everybody, you know, always assumed. But now the evidence is here. Uh, The timing is obviously deliberate of leaking of all these emails that were sent by the Democratic National Committee. For how long was Bernie Sanders, were Bernie Sanders and his backers saying that the convention is rigged and it's rigged with the media and it's rigged from the Democratic National Committee and it's rigged from the structure from which Hillary Clinton arises? She is one of the creators of and one of the products of a completely corrupt, undemocratic structure. I was reading a poll today, uh, reports of a poll in the New York Times that said that 30 percent of Democrats, 30 percent of Democratic voters and maybe voters who participated in primaries thought that the process of, of, of selecting somebody in the Democratic Party was a democratic process. Seventy percent of Democrats thought that the process was rigged and corrupt. 70%. And from this corrupt structure and this corrupt uh, machine, you're supposed to choose a candidate, right? Um, and you can see uh, from watching, uh, I mean, I read the, the Times all the time. I just gave up a long time ago in the New York Times. I mean, they were basically working for Hillary Clinton. Uh, you know, obviously they didn't get paid by her, but they're the same people, right? And major, uh, you know, cable stations and uh, probably MSNBC, that kind of place. Everything that is, uh, that is, um, that is uh, you know, has a democratic tint to it, a tilt to it. I won't say liberal because they're not liberals at all. They're just middle of the road. Um, they're moderates and they're uh, obviously dedicated to money. And now it comes out that uh, her choice for vice president, Mr. Kane, is he a senator? He was the governor. Uh, is he a governor of Virginia now? I don't know. I forget. Um, has accepted uh, gifts in his time, which are completely unethical, and as far as I'm concerned, should be illegal, and he should be in jail for it. And uh, speaking of locking people up, <laughs> when, and her behavior is obviously, you know, we, we, we've had the Clintons for, it seems like, you know, 50 years between her and her husband. Uh, they are not what you call honest people. And they are arrogant and they are overbearing and they have their fingers 
you know, on uh, on on the trigger of everything in the Democratic Party, and they pull that trigger occasionally, and they use their power, and they use their power over the party hacks and the party machinery, and over the media, and their friends are all part of the media. As we'll see when we watch in the next few days, you won't see uh, uh, like you know people from Duck Dynasty, <laughs> as you did at the Republican convention. What you'll see is people who are very very famous. Uh, very popular uh, celebrities and maybe, uh, you know, singers and other people. Who I don't know who's going to be there, but it won't be Duck Dynasty and uh, washed-up uh, grade B country and Western singers. So, um, um, and I watched it. I, I'm sure that most of you watched the... Um, watched the, uh, the, the Republican convention. I watched because I was fascinated by it. I have uh, no claim to uh, – I have no excuse. You know, I cannot uh, – I can't go up and write on the blackboard, uh, I will never watch it again. I would watch it again. A carnival like this, I mean, it was great to watch Ted Cruz get up there. You watch Ted Cruz get up there and run for president right in the middle of when he's supposed to be talking about um, Donald Trump, who's supposed to be running for president. <laughs> and Ted Cruz gets up and talks for 21 minutes – 21 minutes. Oh, by the way, let me go back to what I was saying before is that uh, a vast majority of Democratic uh, voters feel that the process of, uh, of, of electing um, a nominee for the party, and it's Hillary Clinton, uh, was and is rigged. 70%. There's no democracy in the Democratic Party. And you know, in the Republican Party, Fifty percent of them felt that their process was um, was democratic. A far larger uh, number of people in the Republican Party feel, and I think for good reason, that their process of electing a nominee or selecting a nominee uh, was and is more democratic than the Democratic Party. So, anyhow, I'm watching um, you know all these people, the conser- the billionaires and. The, the bimbos, and uh, yeah, is that a sexist term? Well, so what? <laughs> like I said the last time I was on the air, I'm getting old now. If you want to tune away or if you want to reprimand me for being sexist or even racist or God knows what, or classist, feel free. Because I may, in my old age, in my uh, old codgerness, in my curmudgeonness, uh, you know, utter things that uh, people may not find acceptable. I've been polite for too long um, about these kinds of things. There's this whole uh, phrase of, what do we got there, 10 minutes? There's this whole phrase of, uh, you know, the, there was an article in the paper the other day about uh, the uh, political correctness, about the term political correctness. Um, anyhow, so it's, it's quite something when uh, people in the Democratic Party have always sort of imagined or prided themselves uh, on the fact that their conventions or their selection process was not uh, a uniform march-in-step kind of process like the Republicans were. It may have been like that. It may have been like that. I mean, maybe back in the 60s and the the 70s, I don't know, maybe the 80s, but for the last, I don't know, 10 years, 20 years, maybe 30 years, it's a coronation It's not a selection process. It's a coronation of which person who has the most connections to the most rich people and to the head bankers in the world and the heads of corporations, which of these people who has been groomed uh, by billionaires, which has been groomed, who has been groomed 
by banks and by the heads of corporations and by uh, the people who have all the money and the power. Which of these people is going to be the one that we get to quote unquote choose? We don't really have a choice. There's no choice here. The only choice that I've seen in the last 20 years is Bernie Sanders. And he, you know, people said, oh, that man's paranoid, right? He's always accusing people of rigging, rigging everything. You know, he says uh, the power structure, the inside core of the Democratic Party, which Hillary Clinton runs and represents, um, is rigging everything. The Democratic National Committee is rigging everything. Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who just resigned as a chairwoman of the Democratic National Committee. I think she's going to give herself a little present. She's going to stay through the convention in the next four days, and then she's going to resign. And I think Hillary Clinton, just as soon as um, uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz resigned uh, her position as head of the uh, Democratic National Committee in, uh, as she should have, in shame and embarrassment for rigging a primary process, um, and uh, making sure that everything that uh, Sanders and his followers said was true, proving that it was true. I think now she's been hired by the Clinton campaign, the Hillary Clinton campaign, as a campaign advisor. But maybe I'm wrong about that. could have been a rumor. But it's probably true. Whatever awful thing you can think is always usually true these days. Um, so... Uh, for for decades now, the Democratic Party has been thinking, oh, well, the Republicans, you know how they are. They're all uniform. They're in step. This is why they win things all the time, because they're more like Nazis, you know. They march in step. They do the same thing. Their primary was far more democratic and far more in, in the essence of, you know, arguing and choosing and people having their say and having uh, primaries was far more democratic uh, despite its faults, than the, than the Democratic primary was. And then the other night, uh, I don't have that much time left, I watched, uh, so I've been, I watched the whole Republican convention, and, you know, they had their Latinos, uh, carefully selected Latinos and blacks placed carefully throughout the uh, crowd, and then, you know, thrown up on the stage, thrown up on the stage, um, you know, to say, here, I look at me, you know, I'm black and I'm uh, the sheriff of Milwaukee. I'm black and uh, I love Donald Trump and I'm Latino and Donald Trump means everything to me and to my people. Blah, 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 bullshit. <laughs> and those black preachers, they should be locked up. Those guys are nuts. I mean, those guys are scary nuts. And probably there was one of them who was the scariest and craziest, who was screaming from the second he got on, I was worried about his, he was overweight, worried about his blood pressure, was a guy who owns a religious um, broadcasting network or a religious broadcasting um, television station. How long is it going to be before he gets indicted, right? I mean, he's in it for the money. Forget about Jesus. Give me a break. <laughs> Anyhow, I watched, um, watched uh, Der Fuhrer give his speech. I mean, Really? With a little mustache and maybe a uniform, uh, it, was, it was straight out of Hitler. I mean, the content and the style. The man ranted the way Hitler did for an hour, an hour and a half. And uh, I think it was an hour and a half. Probably went on twice as long as he should have. And um, who's going to tell him no, right? He's an autocrat. He's a dictator. Everything is about himself. And he kept saying, I am going to do this, and I am going to fix this, and I'm going to solve this. I, 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 I. Total egocentricity. 
I mean, they're all that way. Hillary Clinton's that way. I guess Bernie Sanders. I mean, who could not be an egocentric, self-aggrandizing person and get up that to that level? This is not Gandhi we're talking about. And I suppose even he had his egocentricity, except that he, you know, was much more complex. Somebody like Martin Luther King, perhaps, much more complex and aware of the uh, snares of fame and uh, of power. But but here's Trump um, getting on there and acting as if there was no such thing. He's going to represent all the people who have been. And it's the same things. It's the same things that Hitler used to go on about. Law and order. Law and order. We need law and order. And you know what kind of law and order we got out of the Nazis. The same kind of law and order we're going to get out of Trump if he gets to be the president or the Fuhrer, the leader. Right? Um, He kept saying, I will do this and I will do that. On the first day in office, I will do this. At least the Democrats... um, who may or may not be in any way uh, particularly interested in democracy, um, at least they know it exists. (laughs) At least the Democrats give lift service to it. Often uh, when a candidate is running in the Democratic Party, I think Obama did this a couple of times, he he didn't say, uh, I don't remember him saying, the first day in office, I will do this, or in the first 100 days, uh, I will do this. It was always we. Whether or not the, the we was supposed to include you and I, you know, the saps, the voters, uh, the peasants, the, uh, <laughs> the, the trolls, the trolls, you know, but, uh, and that's for the sake of voting. But uh, at least they said we. This guy acts as if there's no Supreme Court, uh, no Congress. He's going to get in there and he's going to abolish it all. Maybe what he'll do is like the, um, he'll have his uh, people set fire to um, to the Capitol building, uh, just like the Germans set fire to the Reichstag, and blame it on the Muslims, and then just take over. He is really crazy, and he is really out of control. So it's the same old sad, sad story, the same old t- tedious, sad story of having to choose a corrupt person, whether she's a woman or not, who gives a shit, a choose a corrupt person over a stark, raving fascist lunatic. How bad can it keep getting? There's no real, there's a, there's a choice. Yeah, there's always a choice. But look at the choice. What has this got to do with democracy? Like my friend was saying on the phone last night, 320 million people in this country, make it, one, make it 250 million people if you exclude you know, that, that many toddlers, infants, and children. 200 million uh, qualified, not qualified, 200 million chronological adults. These two people are what we get to choose for the president of the United States. God, who I don't necessarily believe in, help us. That's all I got to say today. I'll be back next week.
about the fire and the fury at his command. Well, you don't have to worry if you hold on to Jesus' hand. We'll all be safe from Satan when the thunder rolls. You gotta keep the devil. Devil.